Escape Pod 178 October 4th, 2008 Today's story, Unlikely, by Will McIntosh Hello and welcome to Escape Pod. I'm Steve Ely. Last week, I mentioned Robert A. Heinlein's theory that there were three plots in literature. Let's do something with Boy Meets Girl. This week's story is a statistical romance set in Savannah, Georgia, a city which, if you've ever visited, you'll know makes anything seem possible. So we present Unlikely by Will McIntosh. Dr. McIntosh is a psychology professor at Georgia Southern University, and he's had stories published in Interzone, Andromeda Spaceways, Albedo One, Lady Churchill's Rosebud Wristlet, and many other markets. He's appeared here on Escape Pod back in February with the alien philosopher's story, Friction. This story first appeared in Asimov's in January this year, and has since been reprinted in magazines in the UK, Russia, and Romania. If a butterfly flaps its wings in Bangladesh... Odds are, it's story time. Unlikely, by Will McIntosh She scanned the diner in that way people do when they're looking for someone based only on a vague description. In this case, Samuel knew that the vague description was a tall guy in his late fifties wearing a jeans jacket. Samuel raised a hand. She waved and headed toward his booth. She was skinny, Long reddish hair streaked with white. No breasts to speak of, but sexy nonetheless. Not that this was a date. Samuel, hello. She slid into the seat across from him. They shook hands over the table. Hello, Tuesday. Nice to finally meet you. There was an awkward silence. What did you say in this sort of situation? Had anyone ever been in this sort of a situation? A waitress, wearing a baseball cap, her ponytail poking through the space in the back, saved the day by taking their order, giving Samuel time to think of something to say. Can you believe this? The whole thing is absolutely staggering nonsense. You think so? Tuesday said. She canted her head and shrugged. I don't know. Don't you believe in the numinous? Samuel smiled wanly. No, I don't believe in the numinous. The numinous? Who the hell used the word numinous? Hmm, I do. I'd like to be part of something numinous. She twisted sideways in the booth, drew one foot onto the red faux leather, and retied the shoelace of her black kid's high top. She tied enthusiastically. The knot she produced had about six bows. She swapped feet and started working on the other lace. Most people don't realize how important well-tied shoelaces are, she said. Shoes ground you. If they're too loose or too tight, or if one is tighter than the other, you're out of balance, and you can't walk true. But you're not walking, Samuel pointed out. True, but I will be later. Ah. Samuel was starting to wonder if it had been a good idea to agree to this. She was one of those new age types. Next she'd be suggesting they visualize world peace, or try to channel a dead high priestess of Lemuria. The mayor seems to believe there's something to this. Tuesday said. He's desperate, clutching at straws. So why did you agree to meet? Tuesday asked, her keds back on the black and white tile floor. Followed by big metal milkshake tumblers. His strawberry milkshake looked as thick as cement. Damn, did he love this place. Professor Barry said there was an easy way to prove him wrong. 
meet with you on and off for a week. If the city's accident rate didn't go down when we were together, and back up when we were apart, he'd return his consulting fee to the city. The shake made a satisfying plopping sound as he poured it into the glass. His ideas are whacked. Data mining for non-intuitive connections? You can smell the bullshit from three pastures away. You know what I wanted to ask him? How did he know when particular people were in the vicinity of each other? He monitored license plates. There were surveillance cameras mounted to record the comings and goings of every single vehicle, 24 hours a day, for eight months. Tuesday was digging through her bowl of sweet potato fries, tossing one after another into a pile on the edge of her plate. Her arm was dusted with freckles. "'What are you doing?' Samuel asked. "'I'm not that hungry, so I'm only going to eat the most attractive ones.' A flurry of movement out the window caught Samuel's attention. A pack of bicyclers wobbled by on Whitaker Street. All were old men, none were a day under seventy, and some looked to be well into their nineties, their shriveled parchment faces utterly out of place under the smooth bubble helmets. "'Why us?' Tuesday asked. "'Why do you think the accident rate goes down when we're in the vicinity of each other?' "'It doesn't. It's bullshit.' "'But what if it turns out it does?' Typically, Samuel liked to stay through the credits, to get the full movie-going experience, but Tuesday stood as soon as the lights went up, and Samuel deferred. "'So what did you think?' Tuesday asked. "'I didn't expect to like it as much as I did,' Samuel said. "'It was slow, and I usually get impatient with slow films.' Someone had dropped a bucket of popcorn in the aisle. It crunched underfoot as they headed for the exit. "'I'm wary of movies that are described as sweeping sagas,' And if anyone in a film is wearing a powdered wig, I avoid the film like the plague. Tuesday threw back her head and laughed, loud enough that others glanced at her. Samuel wished he could laugh like that. When was the last time he'd laughed really hard, totally out of control? So tell me more about yourself, Tuesday said as they emerged onto the sidewalk, under a streetlight painting a circle in the darkness. I know you're a retired philosophy professor, and you live in a condo in Wilmington Park. Samuel shrugged. Let's see. I like to paint. I have an old dog named Riley. And every Christmas I work as a Santa at Macy's. You do not. You're right. I don't. So you never married? Tuesday asked. In other words, what's wrong with me? I didn't mean it as a criticism. It was just a question. Sorry. I get a little defensive about it. It's like your entire life was a failure if you don't get married and have kids. I don't want kids. Women say men who don't want kids are immature, not because they aren't able to have a healthy relationship, but because they don't want what women want. Hmm, you are a little defensive on that topic. Let's move on. What were your first words? You mean, when I was an infant? I have no idea. That's a shame. Maybe your sister knows? It's important to know. They'd reached her car. Samuel tensed, feeling the awkwardness of being in a date moment with this woman he wasn't dating. He stuffed his hands in the tight front pockets of his jeans. See you Tuesday. She laughed, and he realized the dual meaning of that phrase and chuckled. He tried to let go and laugh hard, but it didn't come. The square was strangely deserted, save for an old man walking a Pomeranian. When Samuel was younger, he rarely noticed the old people. Now it was the young people who were more likely to escape his notice. 
He loved the squares scattered throughout downtown, how they broke up the landscape, a perfect melding of urban and green, movement and stillness. A horse-drawn tour buggy circled the square, filled with tourists clutching maps, the clopping of the horse harmonizing with the low hum of the engines of cars creeping along, caught behind the buggy. It was all perfect. He emptied, and the city filled him. Nice day, Dr. Berry said behind him. Samuel turned and smiled. Certainly is. Have a seat. Barry settled on the other side of the green park bench. Well, Samuel said. You believe in numbers, right? Here are your numbers. Dr. Barry spread a data printout across the bench, facing Samuel. The means are composites of vehicular accidents and emergency room visits involving miscellaneous accidents. Lawnmowers, steak knives, skateboards, and so on. From noon to 5 p.m. daily. He ran his finger down the column. This is Monday, when you and Tuesday had lunch. Here's Tuesday, when you didn't meet with her. He went through the entire week. The pattern was hard to miss. In fact, the pattern was nearly perfect. This can't be, Samuel said. The muscle in his cheek twitched. No. Bullshit. Barry held his hands out, palms up, and shrugged. Go confirm the numbers yourself. Call the hospitals. Call the police department. We collected the data blind, meaning the person who compiled the numbers didn't know when you and Tuesday... Thanks. I know what a blind experiment is. Samuel's heart was racing so hard his chest hurt. He wanted to get off the bench, but he didn't trust his legs. How do you explain this? He stared at an errant brick kicked from the sidewalk, not wanting to look at the printout anymore. Barry shook his head. I don't. I'm a statistician. I compile huge data sets and find connections that no one else has found because no one else has bothered to look. But this connection is nonsensical. How can Tuesday and I going to a movie possibly affect whether two cars collide thirty blocks away? The connection is unlikely, yes. But just because we don't understand how things connect doesn't mean they don't. That the moon and tides move together seemed damned miraculous before Newton. The waitress with the baseball cap, the same one as last time, gave him a big, sloppy, rib-straining hug as he stepped through the door. "'We're honored to have you here,' she said into his shoulder. Samuel looked over at Tuesday, at a total loss for what was going on. Her shoulders were bobbing with laughter. "'She hugged me, too,' Tuesday said when Samuel finally made it to their table. "'We've been outed.' She slid a folded Savannah morning news across the speckled Formica table. The Saints of Safety, a new and controversial program to prevent accidents. Oh, Christ, Samuel said. His phone rang. He pulled it from the pocket of his flannel shirt. Why didn't you tell me about this? It was a sister penny. Because it's stupid, he said. Are you with her now? Samuel sighed. Yes. Look, I have to go. I'm being rude. Tuesday waved the comment away, shaking her head. She opened the newspaper. Just one more thing, Penny said. What's she like? Is she pretty? Bye, Penny. Because you know what this means, don't you? The two of you were meant to be together. Samuel hung up. The parking meter was in dire need of a gunmetal gray paint job, its poles skirted in remnants of duct tape left over from lost kitten signs. Samuel sat parked on Liberty, 
under the outstretched arms of live oaks, watching traffic lights flip from red to green, red to green, amid the Spanish moss. His car reeked of rotting bananas and moldy apple pie. He'd forgotten to toss his trash into the dumpster on the way out of his condo complex. It was festering on the passenger side floor. Hissing bursts across the street drew Samuel's attention. A block down, a guy wearing a safety mask was spray-painting a red fire engine green. He spotted Tuesday passing the engine, her vaguely pigeon-toed gait unmistakable. He got out of his car and waved to her. "'Feel like going for a walk?' she said as she crossed the street, gesturing toward Forsyth Park. "'Sure.' They wandered down Abercorn Street, past stately old row houses. Most had steel-black bars on the lower windows, crafted to look like branches, to make them not look like what they were—fortification. After a dazzling, decade-long revival, the city seemed to be sinking back into decline. The aroma of onions and peppers wafted from Queenie's. Mmm, smell that?' Tuesday asked. "'Nice,' Samuel said. "'Do you like to cook?' "'No. I've been cooking my own meals most of my life.' And still, opening the refrigerator is always a humbling and confusing experience, and I guess it always will be. My meals are mostly failures, eaten quickly, primarily to dispose of the evidence. Sometimes you talk like you're a character in a Carl Hyacin novel. Did you know that? No. Did you know sometimes you talk like a character in a Shirley MacLaine autobiography? Tuesday laughed and gave his shoulder a good shove. Then you remember Shirley MacLaine's New Age tell-alls. I figured I'd get a blank stare. They passed the Turning Leaf bookstore, tucked a few steps below street level, and Samuel peered in as they passed, admiring the ancient brick walls lined with books. He saw that Tuesday looked in as well. One of the bad things about aging is that everyone thinks what you like is hokey. My record collection is a never-ending source of amusement to my nieces and nephews. Record? Yes, record. I don't care if they're recorded on tapes, CDs, or flying butt monkeys. They're still records. Flying butt monkeys? They crossed East Henry Street. Two women lounged on a bench at the edge of the park. Art students, from their bohemian dress and creative hairstyles. One of them pointed at Samuel and Tuesday. That's them, she said. The accident people. There was a story in the paper about them. Hey! She sprang from the bench, the rings in her nose and lower lips swinging. "'Wait, can I take a picture with you?' Tuesday stopped, so Samuel had little choice but to stop as well. The young woman, who looked to Samuel like she'd fallen down a flight of stairs with a tackle box, directed them to stand in front of the big fountain. She squeezed between Samuel and Tuesday, and her friend snapped the picture. "'Now can I get one with just the two of you?' the art student said, backing out of the shot. Samuel gritted his teeth, his hands in his pockets, as her friend snapped the photo. He was becoming half of a talisman. The city rubbed their bellies for luck. Let's go, Samuel said. Tuesday nodded, and they continued through the heart of the park. Two squirrels were digging around in a patch of ivy separating the sidewalk from the lawn. Look at how well they get along, Tuesday said. No fighting, nobody trying to hoard all the nuts. If only humans could be more like other animals. All animals are greedy, not just humans. Yes, but there's a difference. If a lion kills a gazelle, sure, she'll drive away a hyena or a buzzard that tries to horn in on her kill, but only until she starts getting full. Then she doesn't mind if other animals start eating on the other end of the gazelle. That's only because she doesn't have a refrigerator. 
Tuesday let out an exasperated sigh. Why do you want to suck all the joy and beauty out of the world? Do you ever look around and just marvel at all of this without picking it apart? Absolutely. I'm always looking. I love looking at this city. Every brick, every tree, every squirrel. The thing is, it's remarkable enough that things can be so vividly without having to believe there's some magical undercurrent hidden underneath it all. I don't believe in the numinous. That doesn't mean the world is any less beautiful to me. Tuesday was smiling at him, her brow knotted. Now that surprises me. You're not who I thought you were at all. You sound like a Buddhist. I'm not a Buddhist. I'm not an ist of any kind. You stole that line from Ferris Bueller's Day Off. I did not. All of my material is original. Ferris said, I don't believe in isms of any kind. You paraphrased, but it's still borderline plagiarism. Tuesday stopped walking. Hold on. There's something I wanted to give you. She unzipped her purse and dug around, pulled out a little plastic baggie, and held it out to Samuel. There was a little tooth inside. What is this? he asked. While I was growing up, I kept all of my baby teeth. I refused to trade them in for quarters. There's power in them. The power of innocence. Intuitive power. Once in a while, I give one to someone important in my life. I'm giving one to you. Tuesday, that's really thoughtful of you. He squirmed in the moment, wondering if he had done something to give her the wrong impression. They walked on, Samuel clutching the baggie, feeling as if sticking it in his pocket would be somehow sacrilegious. Look, I hope I haven't misled you in some way, he said. You... I like my life the way it is. I don't want to complicate it. A young couple passed, their arms wrapped tight around each other's waists. Tuesday was staring at Samuel, her eyes blazing with... something. Hurt? Anger? Maybe both. I didn't mean it like that, Tuesday said when the couple had passed. Look, despite what you seem to think, this whole situation is not some elaborate setup so I can find a boyfriend. I'm not doing this for me. If us spending time together means fewer people will suffer or die, would it kill us to spend a few afternoons a week together and maybe have fun doing it? Do you find me that intolerable to be around? No, I... But Tuesday had already spun around and was storming off. Evidently, it had been a rhetorical question. She'd already bought her coffee and was sitting by the window, the newspaper spread in front of her. Hi, Samuel said. Tuesday glanced at him. Hi. She smiled, but the smile didn't reach anywhere near her green eyes. I'm sorry. You're right. I was making assumptions that I had no justification for making, and I'm very sorry. Tuesday squinted up at him, half-blinded by the sunlight pouring through the window, her smile more natural now. I was going to suggest we sit at separate tables, but I've got to say, that was a decent apology. She kicked out the seat across from her. Samuel sat, leaned forward. I keep running this over and over in my mind, looking for an explanation, but I can't find one. I haven't had a good night's sleep in a week, and I never have problems sleeping. Tuesday scanned the paper, as if she were only half listening. What do you think is really going on? If you're expecting a nice, neat ending to all of this, I think you're going to be disappointed, she said. There has to be an explanation that makes sense. Oh, I'm sure there is. She closed the paper. The question is, is there an explanation that makes sense to you? 
You act like your own personal perspective is some sort of ultimate reality. She gestured grandly, as if the words were floating on a giant billboard above them. And everyone else is right to the extent that their worldview matches yours. You're still angry with me, aren't you? A little, Tuesday said. She sipped her coffee. A group of seven or eight bicyclists rolled up outside. All of them were old men. They puffed and struggled to pull their bikes up against trees and lampposts and chain them up. I saw those same guys last week when we were at the Metropolis Diner, Samuel said to Tuesday. They watched as the men entered, talking and laughing, taking shuffling old man steps toward the counter. You guys a club? Tuesday called over to them. A little man, his spine so curved he had to crane his neck to look at them, shook his head. Nope, we're city employees. New program, supposed to help with the tourism or something. Samuel and Tuesday looked at each other. Tourism my ass, Tuesday said. Samuel pulled out his cell phone and dialed Barry. We're not your only talisman, are we? Barry laughed. You're very observant. No, we've got nearly a dozen projects running, with more in the pipeline. What are the old men on bicycles for? Violent crime. The denser the population of males bicycling, and the higher their average age, the lower the incidence of violent crime. Why didn't you mention this? Sam, you're kidding, right? You don't even believe the connections are real. What do you want to know? Remember the influenza virus that went around last January? It only affected people who own red cars. People who use their library cards at least twice a month are less likely to be burglarized than those who don't have library cards. Is that enough? I can go on. Samuel felt dizzy. He sat. Tuesday gave him a questioning look. He shook his head slowly. Sam, Barry said, this is going to change everything. It's going to change the world. Can you see that? His voice hitched with excitement. Samuel could see that, yes. He could probably even get excited about it, if he wasn't part of it. How did the connections work, and why was he involved? He knew this would haunt him for the rest of his life. It was a jigsaw puzzle missing most of its pieces, an itch he would never scratch. I need to go, he said to Tuesday. I have to get out of the city for a day. Want some company? Sure. They walked back to Samuel's car in silence. Where should we go? Samuel asked as they climbed into his Toyota. North? Smells like bananas in here, Tuesday said. I forgot to dump my trash. Charming. He wasn't in the mood for banter, and he didn't want to talk about Barry's project. He grasped for a topic as he pulled out onto Dayton Street. How long ago did you lose your husband? Six years, Tuesday said. It was hard, but you move on. He was much older than me, seventeen years, so he wasn't a young man. That helped a little. Have you dated anyone since? Mm, a few. Nothing serious. She lifted her sneaker onto the dashboard and retied it. Today they were pink. So, really, why haven't you ever gotten married? I don't know. I really don't. I've never met someone I love who loves me. I guess it's as simple as that. I didn't know that could happen. Not for a whole lifetime, anyway, Tuesday said. How many people have you met in your entire life that you truly loved, who truly loved you? Two, I guess. And what if you hadn't gone into that certain restaurant, hadn't enrolled in that literature class, whatever, where you met those two people? Then you would have met no one. 
Maybe I didn't happen to make that one left turn that would have led me to her. Though I'm not dead yet, I may still meet her. I can't decide whether you're a total cynic or a hopeless romantic. Both. They're not mutually exclusive. Samuel hung a left onto victory. I don't buy that we meet people by chance alone, Tuesday said. Sometimes people are meant to meet. There's no way they can avoid it, no matter which way they turn. In that case, I would have to believe that fate chose to send me no one. Or that fate sent her, but you don't recognize her. True. I'm not very observant. Sometimes I miss my exit when I'm on I-16, and I keep going for miles before I realize it. Alzheimer's, probably. Thanks. Donata. He stopped at a red light. Two black women crossed the street in front of them. One did a double-take, snagged the other by the sweater, and pointed at Samuel and Tuesday. Samuel could hear her shrill tone, but not the actual words. More belly rubbers. The light turned green, and Samuel sped off. Out. He wanted out right now. Tuesday sighed. What? Samuel said. Nothing. No, really. Okay, fine. You refuse to admit that you're attracted to me out of spite. Tuesday said. What? Samuel said. He glanced at her. She kept her eyes facing forward. You heard me. I don't have anything against you. I like you. I know you do. Your spite isn't aimed at me. It's aimed at everyone who wants us to be together because they think we're fated to be together. I hear the talk. It would kill you to prove them right. He glanced at her again, then back at the road. He didn't know what to say to that. There was some truth to it. He refused to even entertain the possibility of being attracted to Tuesday because everyone wanted him to be attracted to her, and that got his hackles up. Her sneaker was still propped on the dash, the lace tied in that absurd lotus flower knot, the toe canted. Tuesday, I just don't feel that way about you. She shrugged. Okay, fair enough. If you've honestly opened yourself up to feel something, and you don't, then you don't. He stopped at another red light. Tuesday sighed, looked out her window. He hadn't, though. He hadn't let himself even entertain the possibility that the pink sweater soiling his dashboard was on the foot of a woman he could love. He let that wall drop a little, that barrier that kept him out of trouble, that kept him from feeling too much attraction toward married women, women who were way too young for him, women others were foisting on him. He didn't immediately get that wrong feeling he got when he tried to feel something for a woman he didn't feel anything for. In fact, it felt sort of good to think of Tuesday that way. Samuel let it go a little further. He imagined sitting in his kitchen, drinking tea with Tuesday on a Sunday morning, her feet propped on the table as she read the paper. Or the two of them in bed on a Friday evening, Tuesday's hair brushing his face. You could be right he said. Of course I'm right, ass, Tuesday said, watching the huge live oaks whiz by. She turned toward him. But you go right ahead and make your decisions based on spite. Samuel leaned over and kissed her. It seemed to surprise him more than it did Tuesday, who kissed him right back, her breath smelling of coffee. And suddenly it seemed so obvious that this woman... Tuesday jerked away, eyes wide. Look out! Samuel slammed on the brakes and yanked the wheel hard to the right, just missing the elderly bicycler at the back of the pack. The tires squealed. 
He was thrown forward and then blasted backward as the airbag exploded and a deafening crash ripped the air. There was a tube running out of Tuesday's nose. Her cheek was so swollen it looked like there was a golf ball buried under the skin. Her eyes flickered open. Hi, he said. How you doing? Lunatic, she said in a soft, punchless voice. I'm sorry. It's okay. I wasn't using my gallbladder anyway. Samuel's guts twisted at the mention of the surgery. So much for our protective powers. Didn't do much to protect— Well, it's not going to work if you drive your car into a tree, no. What was I thinking? I took my eyes off the road completely, like the car was going to drive itself. Tuesday smiled. You believe. You tell yourself you don't, but you do. Deep down, you trusted that we'd be safe. A little too much. Samuel considered. Maybe you're right. I don't know. If I believe, I believe in the numbers. I don't believe it's a miracle. Nobody's asking you to. Samuel brushed a wisp of hair out of Tuesday's face. Where Papa go? he said. Tuesday laughed, gave him a questioning look. My first words. It's written in my baby book. Tuesday reached out toward the chain dangling around Samuel's neck. What's this? She grasped the tooth dangling from it. A tear rolled down her cheek. Good luck charm, Samuel said, to keep me safe. And that was our story. I know people are going to ask, how is this science? There was no attempt to answer the really good question Samuel asked. But, in a real sense, science is about observation and testable hypotheses. Explanation is just a nuance. We know a lot of things we can't explain. Asimov didn't try to explain psychohistory in the Foundation novels, but it carried a good plot forward. One thing I've noticed is that Will McIntosh's stories have a tendency to hit me at the right times. Those who heard my Metacast a few months back will recall that his story Friction kept this podcast going when I was at a particularly bad point in my life. I'm not suggesting a similar level of crisis now, though I do recognize that Escape Pod in recent weeks has been late, and I apologize for that. Excuses aren't important, it's counter to the professionalism I said I wanted to maintain, and I intend to fix it. Anyway, I read this piece when a good love story was just the ticket for renewing my own flagging sense of optimism. It also helped that the story is about three things I have major weaknesses for. Chaos Theory, The City of Savannah, and Smartass Women. Especially Smartass Women. Let's do feedback. Escape Pod 171, Fenneman's Mouth, was Andy Duncan's story about a video producer who manipulates cultural memory by creating classic TV scenes out of whole cloth. His love life works much the same way. This story was pretty much a dud with our audience. Scatterbrain and Dave NJ loved it for the depth of implication, but Meerkat said, The story was very plausible. For me, too plausible to be thought-provoking or interesting. Schreiber said, There is nothing that unprecedented about manufacturing false collective memories. I think George Orwell jumped the ichthyosaur on that one. A lot of the reviews were like Itans's interesting theme, meh, execution. Many people said the plot and the ending were unclear on a single listen, with the characters talking so much about things that might or might not have happened. 
Deflective actually remembered and referenced in detail a scene with the characters discussing whether they could use real Groucho footage that was not actually in the story. When he realized he'd invented his own memories, he said, This story just went from a bit of whimsy to slightly creepy for me. I'd like you to remember that Escape Pod is a production of Escape Artists Incorporated and is distributed under a Creative Commons Attribution Non-Commercial No Derivatives license. Please don't sell us or change us, but share us all you like. Please tell your friends and blog about us, and if you can, we hope you'll help us pay our authors by donating via the PayPal link at our site, escapepod.org. Also check out pseudopod.org and podcastle.org for your horror and fantasy fixes. Our music is by permission of Daikaiju. You can hear more from them at daikaiju.org. Our special closing song is Mandelbrot Set by Jonathan Colton on a Creative Commons license. You can hear more of his music, and you should, at jonathancolton.com. That was our show for this week. Our closing quotation is by Ralph Waldo Emerson, who said, Here is the world. Sound is a nut, perfect, not the smallest piece of chaos left, neither a stitch nor an end, not a mark of haste or botching or second thought. But the theory of the world is a thing of shreds and patches. We'll see you next week, hopefully earlier in the week. Until then, have fun. in heaven
least he will be when he's dead. Right now he's still alive and teaching math at Yale. Gave us order out of chaos. He gave us hope where there was none. His geometry succeeds where others fail. If you ever lose your way, butterfly flap its wings from a million miles away. Squared plus C. Z three is Z two squared plus C.